Master Gunnery Sergeant, United States Marine Corps, Mr. McDonald. Are you ready, sir? Yes, sir. I am well ready. Always ready. Hoorah. Right on. Right on. We'll, we'll get into it then. Urban Christian Veterans provides a safe place for Christian veterans of color to discuss the challenges you face in your daily lives. Being a person of color has its challenges. Being a Christian has its challenges. Being a veteran has its challenges. All of those factors being combined makes for a unique and sometimes difficult life experience that is seldom talked about in public forums. Thank you for tuning in to the Urban Christian Veterans Podcast. Here's your host, D. Allen Rose. Thank you for uh, sitting with me today and, and doing this interview. Greatly honored that you are taking the time. I know you're a busy man. So before we get too far into it, why don't you uh, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a retired Marine. Well, I don't consider myself a retired Marine, but uh, I am an eager globe and anchor guy. Uh, 26 years of faithful service. Uh, went all the way to the mountaintop. Uh, I've been married for 51 years. I got four children six grandchildren and they're all healthy and doing well I, they own their own houses <laughs> so ain't nobody staying here but just me and their mom uh, just trying to enjoy life as a as a retired marine and uh, trying to stay abreast of uh, coming attractions that uh, deals with the military and the veterans administration which I'm a part of, and uh, sometimes just reminiscing back on days as a young man, as a young Marine, and the experience I have gained during those 26 years of service. So, uh, just glad to be on the broadcast today mm. uh, to uh, share my thoughts of what I believe in and what uh, trials and tribulations that I have experienced doing my tour of duty and my trials and tribulations that I experienced while being in the civilian atmosphere and being uh, in the uh, VA community. So with that being said, fire away. (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you so much for that. As you were talking, uh, one question did come to mind. If, If you had it to do over again, would you do it again? Yes, I would. Wouldn't hesitate one one bit. Uh, when you become a part of something that begin to mold inside of you, and that's what the Marine Corps did to me. I I was lost. Didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. I knew that they supposed to be the best, and the rest of my family had joined the Army or the Air Force or the Navy. I just wanted to be different. And everybody told me I was crazy <laughs> to join the Marine Corps. But uh, the Marine Corps uh, put a foundation in me. You know, uh, just when you think you've got things under control, you really don't. First thing you got to do is know how to take care of yourself. You know, and I'm talking just the basic things. You think you know how to take a shower, but uh, they teach you how to wash your body. They teach you how to shave and cut all the hair off your head. And to be the first time you're in an environment where you can't even speak, man. You got to get permission to speak. You got to get permission to sit down. You got to get permission to move around. All these discipline things that, you know, we take for granted with our freedom when we're at home. You know, you can mumble something about your dad. And he says, what you say? And then you say, I didn't say nothing. <laughs> But in the military, it's not like that. It's really a dictatorship when you really uh, start looking at it. But then they begin to take all this, what I call uh, civilian, civilian rubbish out of you and start instilling you uh, the Marine Corps values, how the things work in the Marine Corps. And uh, at first, you kind of balance, you can't see it. But as time goes on, it's a steady pace, 
you have to keep up. If you can't keep up, that means you're a failure. And if you fail, they will show you the gate because <clears throat> they don't have time to sit back and babysit anybody. So only the strong survive. But at the end of those 13 weeks, there's a pride that comes with that. And when you are finally given the Eagle Globe and Anchor as a Marine, man, it just does something to you. You figure like you just conquered. You can go out and conquer the world. But what you don't realize, this whole thing of being a Marine just getting started. It's just mm. getting started. You know, and then you end up in your schools. You meet other Marines. Some of them on the same page you're on. Some of them are not. Uh, but it's what you give the Corps and what the Corps gives you. And there's this going to be some bumpy roads ahead. But one thing that uh, I learned was to keep my feet on solid ground. Uh, I knew I had a praying mother that uh, always kept her faith real high with her children. And I always felt like wherever I went, her spiritual part was with me. So with that being said, I just with this one out and just tried to conquer everything that got in front of me. And I knew I had to be competitive if I wanted to move forward because there's so many other people on the same page. And all of a sudden you find out that you got to compete with these guys and women. You have to get in there and show that you are the best at what you do. And I learned that very quick, and it paid off. Okay. Well, I appreciate that that insight. Um, I can imagine uh, how that must have been for you as a as a young man going into the Marine Corps. Um, I won't say that uh, you know I know exactly how that is, but you know, the Army ain't no slouch. <laughs> we 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 had we had some challenges as well. Well. Services uh, got their own style and their own way of doing things. That's just like the Marine Corps is a strong advocate part of the United States Navy. Matter of fact, our budget comes from the Navy. So we talk Navy talk and Marine talk. The Army has this way of doing things and calling their rank structures different specialists and this and specialists in that. And see, we don't have no damn specialists. <laughs> but I know it's a lot of uh, special uh, in the Army, and then you got the Air Force, and these guys are what I call tech guys that are dealing with tech stuff. It's just a whole different stream of integration of the military that everybody does of different things and talk a different language. I've learned to talk and understand how the Army functioned. I had to learn how to approach people in the Air Force. They don't have the same tempo as Marines have. The Army doesn't have the same tempo as Marines have. And that's where that word come from. Y'all better leave them jawheads alone because they don't have no patience. <laughs> and the reason that we don't is because our tempo it's a up-tempo. You know, we need it fast, we need it quick, and we need it right now. And when you kind of gather these guys in, they don't see it like that because they know right from the beginning, right now as I'm speaking, there's uh, Marines on station right now. And there's another set of Marines getting ready to replace those that are on station right now. And then there's another set of Marines being trained to get in the loop so they can start getting in the rotation. So we're always running 150 miles an hour. You know, we never come down off to that tempo. Uh, you take senior uh, Marines like me, uh, I have to work at a high tempo so that everybody around me is on the same page. And that's how this works. It's the uh, senior guys, people that get real about it, get into it, and know what the core is all about. So I had to preach it, I had to walk it, and I had to talk it. 
and I have to make these junior Marines believe it. So when I say move your ass, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But before I can get to that point, I'm a leader that uh, that leads by example. I'm the first one on, and I'm the last one to get on. That's my motto right there. I, that's my that's my military style. I, I just do that, and uh, I've seen my seniors do the same thing, and I liked it, that style, so I adopted that. But what they didn't tell me was, is all the pain and grievancy that comes with that. And that's the lonely post at the top when you are uh, uh, in top leadership. Sometimes you look around about that, but you, but you hold these kids' lives in your hands. Your decisions are going to be based on what you think, what you believe, what you see, and what you touch. And there's a whole lot of elements in there that you're counting on to fill that gap, to be successful in what you do. There's going to be failure. There's going to be success. And what I call filling in the gap, you just don't know how the dice is going to roll up when it comes to that part. But if you're a praying man and you believe in God, you know, and I'm talking about me when I get to that part. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't speak for uh, other uh, uh, other people's religions or what they believe, but uh, I believe in God and I, I just was raised on that level from a child. And I know my grandmother, my mother, and all my aunts, they are church folks, <laughs> if you know what I mean. When I say church folks, you know, and they, they stand fast. So that those are my genes, those are my roots, and those are part of me. Uh, a lot of times when I do things uh, when I'm setting that example, I can remember some of my Marines said, why are you running around here and all this missiles coming in on top of us and you just acting like ain't nothing going on? But what they don't realize is I have to show you that I can operate in this environment so that when you see me operating in this environment, when I want to put you in that environment, you know you need to operate the same way. <laughs> You can't come back and say, well, I'll do it when I see you do it. Now, I draw a line through that. I'm going to show you how to get this done. It's my job to make sure everybody's where they're supposed to be. And I know this is the first time that you guys have been up under fire or receiving incoming. I know that. And you don't understand the difference from outgoing and incoming. You see, I do. So I have to get out here and let you know what's happening. So you understand what's coming in and what's going out and how we're going to approach this whole thing. And once I get that in place and stuff, then I'm going to sit back and watch y'all do it. And I have to show you before I can, you know, get up there and start putting that foot down and tell you when to move and when not to move. And because seconds are happening, this thing will be over with in five minutes. <laughs> That's how, that's how critical this is. We train for this. And when it happens, a lot of people don't know that just because you train for it, when reality hits, you still going to have problems. And that's I'm trying to clean up that mess right there so when it happens. Because I once upon a time, I was a Lance Corporal. Once upon a time, I was a PFC or a young corporal or a young NCO. And these are the same. I don't do nothing different than what my seniors did to me when I was a young Marine in that atmosphere. And it just it just keeps on rolling. Now today, you I don't know how the Corps is going about things, but I know one thing ain't gonna never change. Ain't gonna never change. And that is you better get a hold of this real quick because this is going down real fast. And they got to grasp it. And when they do, they got it for life. That I do know. I appreciate that insight as well. So given your experiences, I'm, I'm hoping that you can uh, shed some light and provide some some input for some some folks out here. Um, as you know, the name of this podcast is Urban Christian Veterans. And we're targeting veterans of color who happen to be Christian believers, as, as you put it. And 
again, veterans who might be dealing with situations. Now, when you when you think about it, each one of those aspects comes with challenges, right? To be urban or a, a person of color, to be a believer in and of itself can be challenging. And then to be a a veteran in a in a in an environment where there are a bunch of non-veterans around, that can be challenging. So if you could, given your experiences, shed some insight or provide some 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 guidance or some advice to uh, someone who might be not only dealing with each one of those individual things uh, and, the, and the challenges that come with it, but also when you put them all together and the challenges that, that, that they may face with all of those layers at the same time, what would you, what kind of advice would you give to someone who might be dealing with some challenges in those areas? Well, my, my, my thought on that is, is your background. I'd use my background, for instance. I was never uh, a kid that enjoyed church that much. I know I had to go. <laughs> and when I went, that made all my parents and grandparents happy just to get them off my back. And it never occurred to me just how serious that my grandparents and my parents were taking this. You know, I mean, they were standing I would say, roll me up into it. But to make a long story short, man, you will find Christianity early or you find it later on in life. You know, I found mine early, but I played with it. You know, I did it just to be doing it, just to satisfy people in the family. And it wasn't until my brother, oldest brother, went to Vietnam. And I got to see my mama praying every day. I mean, every day. I would go over to check on her. And she said, well, stay with me. I need to pray for your brother. I said, ah, he all right. <laughs> you know, he good. He know how to take care of himself. He from Pittsburgh. He from the street. He know what's up. She said, no, this thing is bigger than that. And... I think just before, just before he got ready to rotate, some new soldiers came in, and he was a riverboat runner. He was on the riverboats in Vietnam, and he was changing out a new crew before he got ready to rotate, and they got hit with grenade launchers, and he got hit real bad. And the telegram came home, and... I thought my brother was dead because my mama just crying and just, you know, this hysterical and everything. And when I read it, saying that your son has been injured in action and he's being transferred to Tripler Medical Center in Hawaii. That's where he was. And uh, he stayed there for about four months. And then they airlifted him out of Tripler Medical Center in Hawaii and moved into Benny, Fort Benny, so my mama can get her hands on it. <laughs> so that's where my journey started. And when I got to talk to my brother, he told me, said, don't join no military, don't fight no wars. He said, man, this stuff ain't no joke. He said, it's the real deal. You know, I said, yeah, you made it through. He said, yeah. He said, that's because mama was praying for me. <laughs> you know, just talking like brothers talk and joking around. But I, I kept that thought in the back of my head. Wasn't using it. It was, it was back there. So here I am, a Marine. Now it's my turn to be in harm's way. <laughs> so... Then my mama started praying for me, too. So that's when things got real with me about God. That's when it got real. So I still was running at the highest tempo at the core, core because that's my job. I stay at that high tempo. But after I retired, I came back to Atlanta to see about my mom. I'm planning on staying in Atlanta. 
came back here, I said, I'll stay here for a minute because I own a house here now. I said, I'll stay here and I'll take your mom for a little bit. And she got me out to the church, St. Stephen's, where I grew up at. And she's a mother in the church, just like her mother was. And my grandfather was a deacon in the church. And they fooled around there. I, the Falcons had a good game going that day. I wanted to get her to the church, get out of the church so I go to the game or get down there, do what I do. But she would not let me leave that church until those mothers laid hands on me. <laughs> and when she did that, she grabbed me, i never forget it, she grabbed me by the knee and she took my hand and she told me, said, the baton is being passed right now. You need St. Stephen's and St. Stephen's needs you. And I've been there ever since. Now, my church is a, a Bible King James church. I mean, they just wrap themselves up in it. And when we get into Bible school, man, it's just, it's, it, it's contagious up in there. And uh, you got to get in. It's like a fight. If you don't get in, you're going to miss out. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it when I be listening and, and we go to the study and I get into it, things in the Bible that were things that I never paid attention to, things that I didn't even care nothing about or how situations were or what was in it. Then I start getting into this stuff and reading that Bible. And the next thing you know, I was calling Bishop Green and I would tell him what verses and where I was in the Bible, whether it was in the beginning with Genesis or I've seen up there with Ecclesiastes or Corinthians or wherever I was, he would already know where I'm at. And he didn't have to break his Bible out. That's the part that always got me. He already, uh, just like we, just like when I'm talking to you sometimes, you already know when I speak, you know where I'm, I'm fitting in at, in that Bible. And I, and I, get, I, I get high off of that, man. I really do. It's, it just allows me to say that I'm not the only person. But then... I turned around there and I, I had that heart attack. All right. And I thought the end was, the end had closed in on me and stuff. But God allowed me to get down to Grady and put me in a position around great people. I tell people all the time, a friend of mine called me and told me that, uh, his uncle was out cutting the grass, and he had a heart attack, and they got him to the hospital, and they couldn't do nothing for him. That wasn't the case with me. I got down there. They was waiting on me. There were people that grabbed me. They were very professional. They knew what they were doing. Took me into door number two. Next thing I know, I was out of door number two, and it was in the ICU. I had a great team of people. These all Afro-American people from day one, from the time they picked me up from the house to the time I got to the hospital. All this stuff. When I tell you God was on time, he's always on time. Everything just jumped off like it's supposed to. And you know, being a military man, you love that stuff when everything come out right. <laughs> and that's what it was, man. That's what it was. You know, when I think about it, these people, I couldn't help them. I couldn't say anything. I didn't know anything. I was at their mercy. And they took care of me, man. They really took care of me. It's by the grace of God. Now, you know, and this is not my first time, b mm. You know, I've been in some close, close encounters in the air and on the ground. I've been in some close ones. And one of them, I didn't think I was going to walk away from because I think I, I had one encounter where my whole life in seconds that flashed in front of me. From childhood all the way to manhood, just like that. And I got through it. And the second time it happened to me again, it was right in my face. But I wasn't scared. It happened so fast. And that was when a rocket came in and hit, and it blew me about 50 feet from the table. And I just thought I was just cut in half. 
and I was still suffering from the concussion of that that rocket from the explosion. And I kept trying to get my bearing of where I was. You know, is this heaven? <laughs> oh, is this mm. hell? <laughs> I can laugh about it now, but it wasn't funny then. It was not funny then. So, and I, I just know uh, by my mother praying for me and how I got serious about my Christianity, it was always there. My spiritual part was always there. I just had to take advantage of it. And that's what I did. Okay. Wow, that, that's some background and, and, and some story I can imagine. Now, given that experience, um, and, and I can relate that whole um, life flashing before your eyes, uh, just given that experience and knowing knowing what that does to you as a man, as a person, imagine, I'm going to give you the scenario. Here you have a an urban Christian veteran, a a a veteran of color who is a believer. Again, a veteran. And this person is transitioned to, you know, civilian life where they're not working around other veterans. They're working around people who have not had those experiences, especially combat experiences. And this person has all of these things going on. Again, being a person of color, having faith, um, you know, being a veteran around a lot of non-veterans. And so they, they operate at a different tempo, like you said, but yet they're surrounded by people who are not. And it could be their significant other, their spouse, who is not a veteran. And it's starting to cause difficulty, challenges, even in their own home. So how would you explain or, or what advice would you give to this young veteran, male or female, who is experiencing that situation in their own home and dealing with those challenges? I stay true to my faith. There are men and women now uh, uh, that uh, go to different churches. I got a friend of mine right now. He go to one church and his wife go to another church. And I wouldn't let nothing uh, turn me around from my from my faith. And eventually, some one or the other gonna see each other on that. So it you have to be grounded because there's so many loose ends out there. You know, if your uh, spouse thinks she's right. And you think you're right. I think y'all should come together and find common ground on each other. As long as we go into church on Sunday and I'm going to one house and you're going to another house. And hopefully we can keep bumping heads where, you know, this thing get back on solid ground. I could probably go visit your church and you come visit my church and then we'll probably end up in one church. But I I would stay, stay to work on it. Don't never give up on your faith. You know, just stay the course. Because somebody's right and somebody's wrong. There ain't no in-between. So, and make sure that you are knowledgeable. You know, you, you have to get in that Bible. Half the people that's running off at the mouth don't know what they're talking about. They don't do the research. They won't sit down and read. My grandmother had a fifth grade education. But I tell you what, on Wednesday, you see her sitting on her big bed with that Bible on her lap. And she'd be trying to read that Bible. And when she come across something that she didn't understand, that's what she called my Aunt Betty Ann, which was the brain housing group in the family. And she said that she discussed that. So what I'm getting at is sometimes you can find common ground if you both are reading the same thing. Because if we can sit here and read the same page, and have a whole different, you have a different concept than I have. You know, and we just read the same thing. And, but for some reason, if it don't say yes or no, then we get that. But if it goes a, like a curve, then we'll sit back and articulate with that and try to beat it around to try to, I'm trying to convince you that is what it's saying and you're trying to convince me what it's saying. Now, just read what it says. 
and then let it interpret the way you are. You know, as you see it, you know, I don't, I always tell people all the time, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to be right all the time. You see what I'm saying? Maybe you can share some light with me. Maybe I'm coming from a different angle, but I know love is two people are working together jointly towards a common goal. They can succeed. It's when they get fed up to where they want to depart from each other, which tells me that they don't want to be together in the first place. You see, that's what they're going to do. But if they got a common interest where they want to be together and stay together and live together, then it's just a matter of time for that Bible brings them together. That's my thought on that. Don't, 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 don't play with your faith. It's real. Okay. Makes sense. Let me give you another scenario. Imagine one of the younger Marines that may have served under you at some point and is now a veteran. And they are maybe not as mature as you in their Christian walk, right? In their faith. Maybe they're not as or as far along as you. And they're out here dealing with all of these factors that I gave you before. They are of color. They are a believer. They are a veteran working around or, or dealing with a lot of non-veterans. But yet the issue that they're running into is they're not as mature in their faith, yet there are other people of color who are questioning why they have their faith. In other words, there's, and, and, and I'm sure you've run into folks like this, who they question how black people in general could be Christians. How could you adopt the religion of those who oppressed you? Why would you accept that? And a lot of times those arguments are pretty strong. So for a, a, a young Marine, a young vet who is not as, as, as mature in their faith and dealing with that, what would you advise them? I would advise them to stay true to themselves. See, my, my, my job at that time, every, every Marine that had the opportunity that I've served with under me, I always pulled their record jacket. I know where they're from. I know what high school they went to. I know what their faith is. I have to know all this is so I get a foundation on what I'm working with. My most important job is, is making sure that they stay with the highest tradition of the Marine Corps, whether that be on their MOS side or living to the uh, pros and cons of the Corps. But on the other hand, I'm going to listen to what they, they say or what they do or how they carry themselves. I mean, a lot of times when you put a school circle up with Marines and you're talking about what the given day is going to be like, you can tell how a Marine carry himself. If he lives into the highest tradition of the Marine Corps, like an inspection, you can go to the barracks and inspect his wall lockers just to see how he's living. And if you see a Bible in there... <laughs> You know, or you see a cross with a nice chain hanging up, and I know what his faith is because I read his his uh, his uh, service record book. Then I might engage a uh, conversation with him. Have you checked out into the local churches, man? You know, you have you been down to God and Christ <clears throat> church? Is a pretty good church down there. A lot of nice Christian women go to church down there. They might want to go down there and check it out. <laughs> you know, I talk like that. You know. Just to keep them on the path. Now, I got to see the tools first. You know, if I see the Bible or the or, or the cross or the chain. But then, on the other hand, if some tragedy happens or somebody gets in a car wreck and seriously injured or, or death, then you see how they come gather around, you know, the heavy stains at the, uh, uh, the base local church. And uh, you see how everybody just come together, you know, to show their love and respect. But the real Christian ones, they, they get serious about this kind of thing. So you, you have to pick up on the nuts and pieces. But I, for me, I, I've always said just stay grounded. Stay grounded with yourself. Be true to yourself first. Be true to your, 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 your belief and live to the highest standards of the core. And you'll be fine. You'll be fine. 
Don't let nobody turn you around. <coughs> nobody. Because there's people out there. I, and, I, and I come back with this one. I always tell them, I said, did you read what I put out there? Did you read it? Did you comprehend it? Do you understand it? And if you don't, raise your hand. Don't go around just taking my word for granted. I'm the dude in charge. <laughs> you know, you ain't got to believe me. Read, read it for yourself. And this is this starts a, a, a gradual conversation. And I make it my business to know my people. What they do, what they're capable of doing, and how they, they go about getting it done. And then do my very best to show them good leadership skills and good leadership styles and let them know that I care. That's half of the battle right there. You know, and that I am a religious guy. My mouth might not come out sometimes <laughs> like that. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I dropped in my knees in a heartbeat. <laughs> I know. And call on my God to give me guides. You know, it's just like that serenity prayer that we got. It is so true. You know, God grant me, you know, grant, it's a grant me. That's the first word to serenity, being calm, nice and smooth. That's where you want to start out at, to accept the things that I cannot change. Give me the strength to change the things I can. And here come the best one of all is <laughs> the knowledge to know the difference between the courage and the acceptance, you see. And that, that's a lot of power right there. And you got to understand how that thing works because if you don't, it'll get twisted up on you. Because a lot of people are not going to believe in the same thing that you believe in or you're going to do the same thing that you do. And that's where the conversation comes in. And it could be a great conversation if people are listening. You, things won't change until, people, until you start listening. You can hear me all day long, whether my voice is high or low. You can hear me. But until you start listening, ain't nothing going to happen. All right. Well, the master gunnery sergeant has spoken on that. So with that said, I want to talk about current events. Right now, the hot topic is these uh, mass shootings. Now, that's been a hot topic in the past, but it's really hot right now. I think starting with the uh, recent uh, occurrence that happened in Buffalo in the grocery store and then the little ones that were were murdered in Texas. I just saw on the news this morning that just this weekend, over the weekend, there were over 10 mass shootings in America just over the weekend. And by, by definition, uh, they define mass shootings as where there are four or more victims other than the shooter. You know, there's, there's a lot of talk about the solutions coming out of Washington, everything from arming teachers to banning AR style weapons to um, changing the legal age for one to to purchase an AR style rifle. With that said, do you uh, believe in any of those solutions? Or if you hadn't thought about those solutions, just what do you think about the the situation with all of these uh, mass shootings right now? Well, the first thing I'm going to say, my heart goes out to every parent that has lost a child or a teacher or somebody that's that died or gotten killed behind these mass shootings. And what that happened is, is that the NRA and other uh, groups of people, we know who I'm talking about, have filtered in on convincing Americans that the federal government is trying to take their weapons. That's not true. Half of them don't even know what it says in the Constitution, okay, when it gets coming to bear arms for militia. They need to read it. And just like I said earlier, they'll read it and there's somebody else to convince them that it's different. The point I'm trying to make here is these young people are minds are being twisted by older people. I always say to people, I said, don't vote for your gun, vote for the kid. Nobody's taking your guns. Vote for them kids. Because, see, it don't get real until it happens to you. You notice down in Texas, that was a little small town with two or three police officers. Okay? 
not much. They're all family. They know everybody. Everybody know them. They're not up to speed on what all this tech stuff would have, like a metro Atlanta or a Chicago or a New York. They have people that specialize in doing this type of stuff. And they got caught flat-footed. That's what happened down there. They got caught flat-footed, and they got overran with pressure. The chief probably wasn't ready for what he had to do. And the reason he wasn't ready, because he don't have the tools in his toolbox to be ready. Okay? And when it happened, it just happened so fast that he was hysterical. He thought he might be saving lives when he was costing lives. But to get back to the rules of engagement on this stuff, there's nothing wrong with red flags. There's nothing wrong with background checks. Assault weapons need to be banded, period. They don't need to be on the streets. So cops find themselves not only out weaponized, but without firepower. The kid and uh, that killed those, t- those 10 black people, this guy was wearing armor vests. The black police officer hit him, sent him ass, and the bullets did not penetrate that vest, which allowed him to take the, po- the police officer out. They're outgunned. That's how serious this stuff done got. So, it's all get back. Vote. If someone's standing in front of you and saying that they're not going to change these gun laws, don't vote for them. Because they don't have your best interest in hand. You know, ask them about the schools his child go to. You see. And when they run up in there and kill his child, then it's too late to vote. Because <laughs> you know what his mind going to do. He's going to vote then, so why you got to wait? Only American people can change this. You know, we're the only country where we just, just opening up our whole things to weapons. Everything is about a gun now. It done got so bad, it done marinated into our youth. Used to be if we had a difference with one another, we throw hands, you know, get a black eye, bruise shoulder, and we go home. Now we go to film. That's how bad it done got. And we as an adults have put up with it. That's because we're not voting for the kid. We're voting for the gun. And somehow or another, these guns make us feel safe. And we just got proven too. What's that old saying? If you want to stop a bad guy with a gun, you need a good guy with a gun. Well, you had a good guy with a gun down in Texas that couldn't stop a guy with a bad gun. Now, if it had been an <clears throat> attachment of Marines down there, this thing would have been over in five minutes. <laughs> Especially if I was leading the way. I won't hesitate. I mean, because you know why I say that? I be thinking about my own damn kids. You know, that had to be so painful to get to that school and your kid is on that phone telling you, Dad, I'm in this building. Where y'all at? <laughs> and you can't do nothing. Mm-hmm. You see, that would have told me apart, man. It really would. Not. And I believe that everybody should be held accountable. <clears throat> should be held accountable. They should be held accountable. When the uh, Border Patrol comes in and do your job that you're supposed to be able to do yourself, that's sad. And then when they got there, they had to wait. You see, so a lot of a lot of a lot of people in the law enforcement tell you, "Well, you know, don't take the thirty seconds to kill nineteen kids." That might be some truth to that, but to stand around and wait, you know, this this stand around and wait. Somebody couldn't take a uh, one of them uh, ragged old fours and come right through down the hallway and just crash into the bit. Do something. Do something. Jesus, I know. Uh, my heart just goes out, just bleeds out for them, man. I, now it's got all American schools and parents on edge not wanting to send these kids to school. My barber didn't even send his kids. He took his kids out of school early. He said, oh, nope, we'll wait till next year. 
And it's all because of this mass shooting down there. Mm-hmm. And we can change all this this November. You can change all this in November. Because there's more people that want to get it changed than the ones that don't. And that's where all the fault lies right there. It's all about political money. It's still alive. Vote for the children, not the guns. That's my thought on that. Right on, right on. Okay, well, I have two thoughts. I'm not the expert by any means. I don't have the solution, but I have thoughts. And the two thoughts I have are first, this notion that we need to arm teachers is a little wild to me because I didn't hear that when it came to the cashiers in Buffalo. I didn't hear, let's arm the cashiers. As a matter of fact, I haven't heard much else about the folks in Buffalo, which I won't get into why I think that is. But the second thought I have is that I don't care how much of a a gun enthusiast you are. I have to believe that if you had a child that fell victim to a situation like this, I have to believe that as much as you like your gun, you would be willing to give it up so that your child could still be here. I have to believe that. Um, But if you are so much of an enthusiast that you say, no, I would rather have my rights. That's a different issue that we need to address. It has nothing to do with the guns. That's, that's something else we need to talk about. So that's my thoughts on those. Well, I'm just going to get in there just a little bit with you on that. Uh, those people, black people that got, uh, got, got gunned down, that's just as important of those uh, kids getting gunned down in there. But more importantly, we got a history of these kids uh, getting shot up in school. I think this is the first grocery store that I've seen black folk get, 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 get caught up in. And this guy has scouted out this this uh, store uh, before he went down there and did what he did. He drove two hours just to come down there and do what he did. Uh, I guess what I'm trying to say to you is, is that gun enthusiasts need to know that things done got out of hand. They need to know that it's just a matter of time for it might knock on your door. But arming teachers is not the solution. Arming uh, women at the cash register is not the solution. Everybody can't handle a gun. You see, they think they load it and they can just point it. There'd be more people getting hurt uh, with guns by people that don't know what they're doing with it. Innocent people getting shot than there is people that need to be shot. <laughs> and that's because they don't have the experience. And see, when you get a gun, it gives you this authority. I don't have to put my hands on you. All I do is take this thing off my hip, put it in my hand, and just take this little finger right here, and boom, away you go. It's not as simple as that. Because you got to remember, once you load the head and you send that bad boy home, Wherever it hits, whether it hit the person that it need to hit or it hit somebody that didn't need to get hit in the first place, you are held accountable. That gun can mess your whole life up, even when you feel like you do using it in the right direction. And it done got so bad now, you have to use it in the right direction because these guns enthusiasts get behind the wrong people all the time and help them get through cases that where they should have even not been able to have a gun in the first place, or they shouldn't even be let loose to get away with what they did. That's because those gun enthusiasts want to keep things like it is. And you know who's making the money off of this? It's the gun maker. They're the only people that don't stand to be sued for making guns in America. You want to change the game, set that up where they can be sued and watch what happens. I bet you those assault weapons will come off that market. Because, see, those weapons was built and designed for war. That's what they was built for. You know to get a machine gun in America, a machine gun like a 50 cal, the paperwork is so tremendous, man, 
it would take you a year just to get the approval to have one. And here you got an 18-year-old in Texas, cannot but buy beer, cannot buy a handgun, but he can walk in there and buy an assault weapon. Think about that. Those people that make those assault weapons, put that in there. And you can't sue them. If your son got caught with an assault weapon, did what he did, then you can sue the guy that made that weapon for him. That, 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 and you can't, you can't do anything about that because they can't be sued. They're the only companies that cannot be touched. And they got that done on purpose. And ever since then, they've been building weapons like it's going out of style. And they say the assault weapon that they have, you know, you can put it on semi, but it can't put put on automatic. All it takes is another drill hole in the base to that collector and file it down, and you got an automatic weapon. Who buys a thousand rounds of ammunition? Think about that. That's well, a lot of rounds. A 6.2. A 7.2, whatever they are, I forget. But that's, that's a lot of bullets. 18-year-old. Change, get rid of the weapons, the assault weapons, and the cops need to get behind that themselves. Sometimes they're the biggest corporate out of all this. They need to get behind that because they're being our gun. They're being our gun. And the people that buying the guns and buying all this protector getting to come in with these automatic weapons, and they are in the business to protect and serve. So if you can cut half of this out by abandoning the assault weapons, getting rid of this protected gear, that's going to make them safer on the streets. But as long as these kids are able to buy this kind of stuff, man, they're going to eat these cops up because the only thing they're going to be able to get to is the nine that's on their hip. And that guy kid jump out of there with that assault weapon and that armor, you better run like anybody else. And you the popo. You the police. You know what it takes. Another five minutes for another cruiser to come up there and help his partner out. What he gonna do when he get there? Go in the trunk, get a shotgun? It's gonna be too late. These are the things that they need to talk about. If these police unions got behind, vote for the kid, not the gun, if they came out and to protect themselves, that's the problem I have with them. They don't come out themselves and support them, support them, get the uh, automatic weapons off the streets because they don't need them. And these kids, you got to change the culture. And the only way you're going to change the culture is to get rid of the dead weight that's in the culture. And that's them guns, man. And get up, get somebody in the DEA that, uh, that, uh, uh, what's that, tobacco and arms, somebody that get in there that can stop guns from coming into another state. I think, uh, is it, uh, I know something I heard about Chicago, how guns are coming in Chicago uh, illegally from another state. You got to change the rules. And if you change the rules, you can shut down a lot of this stuff. Crime will go down, get the assault weapons off the streets, and let our kids go back to going to school just like we went to school, man. Well, school should be the safest, harvest place to go when you're being raised up. You know, when you drop your kids off at that school, you need to know that everything in that building and everything's on those grounds have their best interests. And a lot of people don't have the money. Like that little school down there, they probably didn't have the money to have one guy, all he does is run around, make sure all the windows are locked, all the doors are closed, and make sure they stay that way to the end of the day. That's his priority job, to make sure this building is secure. They probably didn't have money to pay him just to do something like that. Some of, some of the simple things are right before our very eyes that we don't pay attention to, man. And if the chief of police... You live in a little town like that, and you would think that they would go through the school and say, well, y'all need to change that, put a lock on that door right there. Y'all need to pop out a little down here so he can walk the hallway and keep the plane locked up. And what the janitor got, what the janitor doing with the main the main master key? That's the part that got me. <laughs> Don't, shouldn't that be in the principal office somewhere? 
Just in case something jump off that they can unlock the doggone door. Lord have mercy, man. I, you know, from a military mind guy, I look at this stuff and it just, it, it twists me inside. It's almost like a trigger for me because, uh, you know, my grandson is running around this house right now and stuff. And he goes to a nice school over there in Fayetteville. And God knows, well, if something jump off over there, man, that would just tear me apart. It, it, it really would. It would just tear me apart. So the urgency is there, man. I, I, I tell people all the time, you know, vote for them kids, man. That gun ain't that, that important. That gets back to your question, too. Will you give that gun up? That is a discussion that um, I'm hoping that we'll, we'll get to uh, talk more about in the future. You need, you need to come back and, and, and let's talk about that because I think that one of the issues that we face is that we, we have a tendency as a country to focus on the symptoms versus the root cause. In fact, we, we put so much emphasis and focus on the symptoms and then the, the symptoms get weaponized. And what I mean by symptom is ARs or AR style rifles. That's a symptom. That is not the root cause. You started with perhaps the the attention that's that's being given to schools is because of the history. And my response to that would be, well, there may not have been a history of grocery stores, but I put the grocery store situation in the same category as the church that got shot up. The nine people that died in the church with Dylan Roof went in there and, and shot the folks. And when you say that, you know, one of the safest place that ought to uh, be is when you send your kids to school. Well, I would put the church right there with it as far as what should be safe. And to me, it wasn't the fact that whether or not ARs were involved or AR style rifles, let me, let me correct myself, were involved. It's there's a commonality when we look at who's doing this and who the victims are. And so there's a root cause there that I think no one wants to touch, but the symptom is what we get, you know, we focus on and the symptom is easy to legislate or, or not. And that is a distraction to me, but no one is willing to say what this root cause is and no one's willing to go there. And I'll tell you, you know, last thing I'll say about it is the proof in the fact that there is a root cause is the fact that in those two situations, the shooters went home safe. So I'll, I'll just leave it there. Well, your, your point is well taken. And like I said earlier, you know, my heart goes out to all the people at the grocery store, but that, that, the, 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 the point I was trying to drive home was that the retired police officer that was working there got the ups on this boy, fired off about three shots, sent a mass, hit him, but the guy had on the bulletproof vest and turned around and shot him. That's what I'm getting at. Until you take this stuff off the streets or make it illegal to have, because it doesn't belong in the hands of people like that. Not only the assault weapons, but now, you know, they they, they, they dressing up for these mass murders to survive. Because, see, it gets back to what I just said. A guy with a, a guy, bad guy with a gun, the best way to deal with it is a guy with a gun. What if somebody else had been in the grocery store carrying? Okay? All right? They trying to shoot him, too. But they don't know that he got bulletproof stuff on. You see? So you jump out with your little 9mm. Hawk, stop shooting these folks. Pop, pop, pop. They turn around, look at you. Ha, ha, ha. Watch this. Boom, boom, boom. You, it's done. I mean, these these guys are getting getting to the point where they're getting ready to go in here and do ball, I mean, some, some serious damage, man. And that's why I hold these police departments, they need to come out and, and stand tall on this, man, because their lives are just in jeopardy as the, as the kids' lives, you know. I mean, they, they, they got a say in this, and they're not saying anything. That's the thing that get me. Can you imagine if we was on the battlefield with a rifle that didn't work half the time? <laughs> I ain't going out here fighting this, this thing don't work half the time. What, what, what is going? 
You know, mm-hmm. and that look here, people will be working night and day to get rid of that problem. But I'm just saying to you that the culture has gotten so bad where it's scaring the people that protect and serve. They're going to always show up after it's over with. Not why it's going down, bro. That's not the rule. Eat your donut, drink your coffee. We'll get over there when it's over with. All right? That way we ain't got to worry about getting shot. We'll block traffic. We'll find out what happened. And that's the end of it. No, it's not. It's not the end of it. Because it's going to turn around, and when it's time for you to protect and serve, you're going to look like a little punk instead of doing your duty. You know, it's just like I said, don't put that uniform on if you can't stand, if you can't stand the pain. Don't put it on. Because a lot of responsibility and accountability comes with that. Same thing for the guys that wear blue. When they put that police uniform on, man, they have taken a sworn oath. If you believe in the oath and you're going to stand on that, then you better be ready to be in harm's way. I don't care if you're down there opening the door, everybody checking everybody's laptop and stuff, and they're checking in. Sometimes the simpler things can be the biggest, hardest thing. But when it comes time to serve, man, you got to bring it. Every day I, I see the guys get up and put on that blue, strap in, get breathed, and then they hit the streets. Not knowing, or oh, there's going to be a ticket day, a disturbance day, or got to go over here and straighten this mess out. Or they don't know what day they're going to be. But at the end of the day, everybody wants to go home. And the way these mass shooters are going, ain't nobody going home. And these mass shootings are making them look ridiculous. And they won't do anything about it. Like I said, it's more so on the little small towns like in Texas than it is in Metro. Metro got a got a mass group of officers that train to do these type of things. You know, they call them SWAT, whatever you want to call them. These big cities can afford that. But these are small places, like these little schools down here in these little counties with these small uh, police departments, sheriff departments and stuff. They're not ready for a mass thing like that, man. They're just not ready. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they can train all they want, but if you ain't got the tools to go with that, to help you do that, and the first thing that comes to my mind is prevention. It's to prevent it from happening. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. And that's the first thing that I would do if I was in a small town to make sure my kids are safe. When I said my kids, I'm talking about your kids. Because they're mine. You, uh, uh, you, you voted me in to protect and serve. I take that shit seriously. You see what I'm saying? And I, I ain't going to worry about you growing for but them damn kids, I got a problem. I got a problem with that, you see. And and I'm not going to arm no teachers. You know, I'm not going to arm Mr. Bob that drives the school. I ain't doing none of that. I'm just going to make sure that school is good to go. Even if I had to go over there and walk around it my damn self. That's the kind of uh, stuff that I'm talking about. You got to care. If you don't care, it's going to keep on happening, keep on happening. Because people will get behind you if you care. That I do. All right. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I know we're 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 just now getting into it, but um we've come to the to the end of this time and um you know I, I thoroughly enjoyed this discussion and I and I sincerely hope that you will come back so that we can continue. Um there's so much more that uh, I'd like to talk to you about and, and, and so much more that we've discussed in the past that I think people ought to hear what you have to say about. So if you, if you'll uh, indulge me, I would love for you to come back. Um, but in addition, is there anybody, this is your opportunity. Is there anybody out there that you want to send a shout out to? Uh, I send a shout out to my veteran board brothers that uh, I hang out with on Wednesdays. You know, they're a great bunch of guys. I got about five or six of them that still need to grow up, but what can I say? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I used to have a problem growing up myself, so I I, I really enjoy them. I think they uh, veterans that have served their country well and just being a part of the group 
on issues dealing with the VA, and, uh, dealing with PTSD. You always can learn something from people when you do that. And I think uh, uh, this broadcast that you're doing, it should go go further. I, I enjoy being on it, getting the opportunity to speak and say what's on my mind. And I, I, I'm just that guy. You know, I, I love stuff like this because uh, a lot of people don't, don't like to be heard. I, I don't have a problem with it. I love being heard. <laughs> Anybody that knows me, you get Mac in there, he'll rock them up. <laughs> so I enjoyed it, uh, Dennis. And uh, I look forward to being back on the show whenever you need me, man. Just holler at me. That's all you got to do. My time is your time. Right on. I appreciate that, brother. I really do. And I, I echo that. Shout out to the, the Vet Center, College Park, Georgia. I hope you guys are listening. I hope you guys are getting some value out of this. Uh, I invite each and every one of you to uh, to come on and be heard. Again, this is a, a safe place for you to um, share what's on your mind. You know, love to have you. I've, I've had, had some some great conversations and, and been in some great sessions where uh, we have some very knowledgeable and, and wise people in that group and um, would love to hear what they have to say on, on certain issues. So, Again, we really appreciate you coming out, uh, Mr. McDonald. And yes, by all means, I will be reaching out to you again uh, for a future episode very, very soon, because I think there's some things that we need to, to discuss. Thank you very much. May God keep you and may God bless you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. May God bless you and your family, too.